come a little closer, madam. I want to tell you about something your children will love. This is Ghouls Only Cast, a podcast about lesser-known films across all genres. Who wants to die for art? I told you, no more deaths in the house! Hi everyone, welcome back to Ghouls Only Cast. It's certainly been a minute or two since I've made one of these. <laughs> um, I don't really have a good excuse for it. I mean, when I started this project, I think I wasn't sure what to expect, but still somehow expected too much from making podcasts. I got discouraged pretty quickly. I underestimated how much work truly goes into making these, including research, which, holy shit, guys, I was doing, like, college dissertation-level research on some of these movies, you know, so, like, I kind of just quit, but I got some encouragement semi-recently from several different people who told me that they enjoyed listening to these, which honestly surprised me and made me happy. So I decided to make another one. I've got um, kind of a weird setup right now, and hopefully there's not a lot of extraneous noises. Hopefully my voice doesn't sound too weird, but if it does and it's all fucked up and you can't stand listening to it, I understand it's okay. (laughs) I'm very, very rusty at this point. Today, I want to talk about a film that's one of those if-you-know-you-know kind of movies. Like, if you know it, you love it, and if you don't know it, you're kind of missing out. I mean, not that this movie is crazy groundbreaking or will change your life or anything, but it's just that if you like cult films, 80s films, films set in New York, female-led films, rape, revenge, chicks with guns, gritty, grimy, slimy, whatever you will fucking dig this movie. Like, it got totally panned and virtually thrown out with the trash when it came out in 1981, but now, now we eat this shit up with a filthy spoon and we love the mystery flavor and textures. The movie I'm talking about is Ms. 45. It's generally misspelled with a period after Ms. when it actually goes before the 45, like the 45 caliber pistol that our main character wields against the men of New York City. In short, it's the story of a mute woman named Thana who works in the garment district. Thana, of course, appears to be a nod to the Greek mythology with Thanatos, the god of death. Thana is also a name of Arabic origin that means death, so if anyone out there is pregnant and wants a cool multicultural name for their daughter, uh, there you go. (laughs) So one day after leaving work, Thana is sexually assaulted twice in quick succession. The second time, she defends herself and then begins exacting revenge against all of the dangerously perverted men she comes into contact with. But there's so much more to the movie than that to unpack. And after that quick rundown, I would like to address something. This is a really great film. It's one that I personally really enjoy, but that doesn't exactly come without its own set of problematic insinuations that one might make upon hearing that someone deeply enjoys an exploitation film like this. Ms. 45, at its core, is a revenge movie that takes inspiration from other films of a similar vein, like Taxi Driver and Death Wish, or more closely, Thriller, A Cruel Picture. 
it's more closely related to thriller because it is, speaking more bluntly, a rape revenge movie. Rape revenge films are a tricky genre because they show a victim getting justified retribution in an often over-the-top and gory way, but these films also show the assault that is the impetus for retaliation. And oftentimes, that part of the film is extremely difficult to watch. It's hard to stomach, especially for viewers who are victims of assault in their own personal lives. These types of films are not as popular now, except for, like, um, that one by Gaspar Noe that I refuse to ever watch. And like I said, they're not as popular now, but they had their own heyday peaking in the 70s with films like I Spit on Your Grave. Miss 45 didn't come around until 1981 when the genre was kind of on the decline and the genre was never exactly beloved in the first place. Rape is not always what people want to watch, even if the victim does get the ultimate payback at the end. The other thing about Miss 45 that people might debate about is whether or not it is a sexist film. It has an assault-driven plot involving a woman who is completely mute, which feels like a nod to the old adage of women needing to remain silent and be in subservience to men or their husband, mentioned in both the Christian Bible, in the first epistle to Timothy, and in the Torah as well. Having a female main character who cannot speak and then through violence begins to murder men at a rate that quickly jumps from justified to, uh, to indiscriminate and terrifying. And, uh, well, she becomes hysterical. It's the stereotype of the mad woman. There's two points to misogyny there in its own way. On the flip side, though, the men in this movie are largely portrayed as being these positively ghoulish people that seem to only exist to harass women and try to sexually coerce or assault them. It devalues men, for the most part, into these crazed, oversexed, violent, emotionally terrifying creatures that sometimes appear less human than the female characters of the film who are just trying to go out to lunch or walk down the street. So while you could call this film benignly misogynistic, there is a very in-your-face degree of misandry as well. The jury is in and the verdict is that everyone sucks. Case closed. But this film is generally considered very woman positive. Now, the director of this film is Abel Ferreira, who is just this total greaseball auteur that I just absolutely adore. I haven't seen all of his films, but the ones that I have seen, I cannot get enough of. His most well-known film, if I had to guess, is Bad Lieutenant, starring Harvey Keitel, which, honest to goodness, feels like the blueprint for everything that the Safdie brothers have been achieving since they came onto the scene. Bad Lieutenant also has our star of Ms. 45, Zoe Lund, who apparently uses real heroin on screen in one of her scenes. She was apparently a huge advocate of the stuff. So anyway, our director, Abel Ferreira, was born in 1951 and raised in the Bronx. He's of Irish and Italian descent, so of course he was raised Catholic, which explains a lot of the imagery in his films, particularly the one we're talking about today. He studied film in college, and after graduation, his first feature-length film was a porno called Nine Lives of a Wet Pussy. The porn was starring his girlfriend at the time, and later, Abel recalled having to step out from behind the camera to perform in place of the male co-star. He said, quote, 
It's bad enough you're paying a guy 200 bucks to fuck your girlfriend, then he can't even get it up. <laughs> he made the film under a pseudonym, Jimmy Boy L, which was actually a pseudonym of a pseudonym, Jimmy Lane. Abel went by Jimmy Lane for his next two features. Driller Killer was his first honest-to-goodness feature film, a movie that I enjoy very much and highly recommend, and then there was Ms. 45. After Ms. 45, Abel began making more high-budget Hollywood-type movies that still had his own unique gritty flair to him. He's collaborated with a lot of high-profile names, and like a lot of other directors, he has frequent flyers. His recurring actors include Christopher Walken, Harvey Keitel, Willem Dafoe, and Dennis Hopper, to name a few. Rest in peace. His movies vary wildly in degrees of acclaim, some being very well received and some being outright panned. He's still working though, he's got a movie in post-production right now starring Shia LaBeouf. He moved to Europe after 9-11 and says that part of the reason was that it's just easier to get financing for his films over there, and he's got the back catalog to prove it. Since 2001, He's made almost 20 films, not including short films, music videos, or documentaries, just feature films. But as I mentioned before, when I said that he had some recurring collaborators, one of the earliest recurring collaborators that he had was Zoe Lund, who was born Zoe Tamerless, who stars in Ms. 45 and co-wrote Bad Lieutenant, though at one point she claimed to have written the whole thing herself. Zoe Lund was a multidisciplined artist who was only 17 when Ms. 45 was being made. After Ms. 45, she was in Larry Cohen's Special Effects, which was made side-by-side -side with Perfect Strangers, and you can hear more about that in my episode about Perfect Strangers. Hint, 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 hint. And Zoe, as I mentioned earlier, really loved heroin and advocated for its legalization here in the States. Richard Hell, who I talk about in my episode on smithereens, was a good friend of hers and said that he knew a lot of serious drug users, but Zoe was queen. She later went on from using heroin to using cocaine, and that killed her pretty soon after in 1997 when she was only 37 at the time. Although she didn't have a huge or extremely prolific career, the people who know her from things like Ms. 45 cannot help but love her. She is so unique looking and cuts such an imposing character in the film while still showing a serious degree of fear and innocence. In Ms. 45, she takes a totally mute character and chews the scenery with a preternatural ease. Zoe was the real deal, and I just wish that she was in more stuff that's easy to find. But we have Ms. 45, arguably one of my favorite video store finds of the last few years. So without further ado, let's get into the plot. If you want to go ahead and see this movie blind without uh, listening to me talk about the plot, last I checked, it is streaming on Shudder. So if you have Shudder, go ahead and watch it. And uh, it should be available for rent pretty much anywhere else. The film opens in the garment district of Manhattan, where a small fashion business is showing off some of its latest creations to a potential buyer. After closing a deal, the manager, named Albert, sends all of the workers home for the rest of the day. One of these seamstresses is Thana, a meek and mute girl with a bob haircut and the best pair of eyebrows I've ever seen in my life. Zoe Lund is a really interesting looking woman. In some ways, she kind of looks like the prototype for Anya Taylor-Joy. 
So as the seamstresses leave and walk down the street, they are harassed nonstop by men. Your typical, hey baby, let me talk to you, making kissy noises kind of catcalling. The most confident of the group, named Lori, angrily sneers at them and tells one guy to fuck off after he asks her if she wants to sit on his face. One of the girls asks Thana to come and get a drink with the rest of them, but Thana declines. Elsewhere, we see an apartment being broken into. It cuts back to Thana buying groceries, and I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but oh my god, I love grocery store scenes in movies. Like, especially older movies, I don't know why. There's just something about it. I mean, I think that's why Kiki's Delivery Service is my favorite Studio Ghibli movie, just because there's a grocery store scene. Like, <laughs> but anyway, it cuts back to the apartment being burgled, and it's understood at this moment that it's Thana's apartment. As she's walking home with her groceries, she's snatched and dragged into an alley by a completely different man wearing a mask similar to the killer in Alice Sweet Alice, one of those clear plastic masks that has features painted onto it. This assailant is actually played by the director, Abel Ferreira, and he pins Thana over a trash can at gunpoint and sexually assaults her. It only lasts for a moment, but he assures her that he'll be back. She recoups in the fetal position for a while before returning home in a daze, where the burglar is still going through her things. Once again, Thana is held at gunpoint. The burglar pretty quickly learns that Thana is mute when she can't articulate where her money is. When he sees she really doesn't have anything, he begins sexually assaulting her. In a moment of Christian imagery that our boy Abel loves to use so much, Thana takes a glass apple paperweight on the floor and bashes him in the head with it. Then, as maybe a nod to traditional women's roles or something, she grabs a nearby iron and bludgeons him to death with it. After having a nice dissociating session on the couch, Thana drags the burglar's body to the bathroom and heaves it into the tub. The next day, Thana returns to work, but is really hypervigilant to noises and keeps zoning out and not hearing people when they're trying to talk to her. Everyone is really concerned, and they start crowding around her asking if she's okay, which just makes her panic even more. She goes home and immediately gets to work in the bathroom chopping up the body, not even bothering to remove the clothes before she does. She wraps the parts up in newspapers and garbage sacks and puts them in her fridge. She cleans the tub and goes to take a shower, but has a traumatic flashback when she looks in the mirror, seeing the masked assailant from before groping her from behind. When she looks into the tub and sees the drain spitting up chunks of flesh and organs, she gets sick. Later, Thana takes one of the garbage sacks containing a body part and goes to leave. As she exits her apartment, her landlord and her small dog, Phil, ambush her to ask what's in the bag. This landlady is the nosiest fucking person I've ever seen in any movie ever. Like, wow. She is just all up in Thana's business, and the dog is trying so hard to get into Thana's bag. It's just like, as soon as Thana takes half a step out of her fucking apartment, she ceases to have any privacy whatsoever. The landlady insists on taking Thana's trash bag out for her, but Thana refuses. And then Thana takes a walk for a while before dumping the sack in a random trash can on the sidewalk. So because of all of this, justifiably, Thana's work is suffering. And she's dissociating at one point at work and burns a shirt pretty deeply with an iron. She seems to mostly go to work and then dispose of body parts at this point. 
On one occasion, there's a guy who looks like a reject from an off-Broadway production of Grease that has, is harassing every single woman as they walk by, calling them little girl and sweetheart and shit. He sees Thana dump a bag and decides that he has a perfect in with her. He goes and picks up the bag and starts literally chasing her down, saying, Hey baby, you dropped your bag. A man running at Thana with her bag is justifiably scaring the living shit out of her, and she bolts away with him in close pursuit. She runs down a dead-end alley, and he starts after her at full fucking speed. Uh, she turns, terrified, and pulls out the pistol that the burglar had on him. She cowers, and then she shoots the guy square in the forehead. Thana then returns home, terrified and throwing up. Almost right away, her landlady is hammering on her door, asking what her problem is, while Phil the dog is nosing around Thana's fridge. Later in the night, Thana struggles to sleep and seems to be really suffering from post-traumatic stress. The next day, a homeless man finds a severed arm in the garbage while elsewhere, Thana's co-worker Lori is reading the New York Post where the headline reads, quote, no clues in bizarre 45 killing, with a picture of the dead greaser wannabe beneath it. Inside the manager's office, Thana is getting a talking to about her performance as of late. Albert, her manager, says that he doesn't believe that she's feeling better, although she keeps telling people that she's fine. He's like, darling, I know you have a handicap and have to work harder than other people. We all want you to do well here. And while he's doing this, he gets up from his desk and comes behind her and you can probably guess, starts touching her and giving her one of those weird massages that you sometimes see people in positions of authority do. Of course, this makes Thana extremely uncomfortable. The manager tells her that there's a Halloween party coming up soon and everyone at work is going and that she should come too. He even is like, there will be boys your age there, which makes her squirm away. She takes out a notepad and writes down, I'll try. When she leaves his office, she notices Lori's newspaper and another co-worker asks Thana what's up. To her, she writes down, I just wish they would leave me alone. Later that day, all the girls are out getting food at a bar and there's this really skeezy guy loudly sucking face with a woman, which Lori loudly scolds them for, saying, This ain't a zoo, they look like a couple of monkeys going at it. <laughs> the female half of the snogging couple leaves and right away this dude is up and out of his seat and hitting on everyone at Thana's table trying to get them all to have a drink with him. Like, just being really gross and skeezy, like I said before. Lori, the fucking goddess that she is, yells at him to get fucked and just totally shouts him down until he goes away. Like, I love Lori. <laughs> She's such a great character. This is the only movie that th this actress ever did, and she's just so fucking cool. Like, in fact, there's a few people in this movie who were only ever in this movie, and it's so sad because everyone in this movie is just so good. <laughs> anyway, the girl's lunch is over, and Thana hangs back to get the change from the bill, and as she leaves, guess who follows her? 
This dude seriously follows Thana to the corner, calls her baby, and he's like, I'm a photographer for Vogue and all these other things. I'm so important, blah, blah, blah. And says that he wants to take photos of her because she looks like a Renoir or a Matisse. I just, I hate this guy. <laughs> Ugh. And he invites her back to his studio to do like some test shots, drink some wine, smoke some weed, and he grabs her hand. And Thana is just giving him this fucking killing stare, but he's just like, ah, I knew you'd love this idea. He puts his hand on the small of her back and takes her up to his studio, and as he walks into the studio, Thana just pulls out her gun and totally unloads the whole clip on this dumb son of a bitch without even getting out of the elevator. <laughs> This cuts to some loud ass, swinging ass, jazzy ass, femme fatale ass music as Thana puts on some really striking makeup at home, particularly this bright red lipstick. Like she's fucking feeling herself now, ladies and gentlemen. So it's later that night, she puts one of her garbage bags of dead burglar into her imitation Gucci bag and she's going out on the town. She's stopped by her nosy-ass landlord, who's like, Why do you look like this? For some reason, Anthana gives her a note saying she'll be spending the night with a friend. Like, her landlord is her fucking mom that she has to lie to or something. Like, I always just really dislike this landlord. Like, I could not deal with such an annoying and nosy person all up in my shit who could also go snooping anytime they wanted. Like, it would just be so violating. Ugh, I know it's just a movie, but God. But anyway, Thana goes out walking the city at night, which is New York City in 1981, which is a pretty fucking dangerous place at this point. Thana is dressed really nicely and her makeup looks great, which is possibly to attract some attention. She dumps the bag with human remains in a locker and goes out on the streets. She sees a pimp beating the snot out of one of his girls and guns him down before disappearing around a corner. After this, Thana goes walking in Central Park and is surrounded by a gang that looks to be the warriors fallen on hard times, and Thana guns down all of them without much difficulty. Like, she's a natural shot. As she leaves, she's asked into a car by a driver of a sheik wearing a Gutra headdress. He asks if she's going anywhere in particular, and she shakes her head. He offers her $100 and says she could spend the night with him if she wants. Thana then takes out her gun and shoots the man and his driver. When she finally goes home, it's light outside, and Phil the dog is freaking the fuck out downstairs. Thana takes out one of the bags, grinds up some of the meat, and goes downstairs to give Phil some meat to get him to shut up. Oh boy. As Thana leaves for the day with some more bags, Phil and Nosy Ass speculate what she's up to. As Thana is walking down the street, she dumps one of her body bags in an open trunk of a car with a Georgia license plate right before the guy drives off, which is such a fucking move. Like, imagine traveling across state lines and then you go to get your camping gear out of your trunk or whatever, and there's just a shopping bag full of severed feet or something in it. Like, holy shit. Certainly creative. 
Just as an aside, when Thana is coming out of her apartment building, it says Clinton Gardens, and I looked it up, and judging from the senior living coffee shop in the film and the info I saw on apartments.com, this place still exists as low-income housing for seniors, so if you want, you can go see this spot on 45th Street in New York. Oh yeah, 45. (laughs) Cute. So now... Thana goes to work where she's given a talking to yet again for her performance, and this time it's because after yesterday's lunch, she just went and shot a man instead of coming back to finish her work. I mean, that's not what Albert says, but you get it. That he seems weirdly preoccupied, though, with, like, whether or not Thana's going to this Halloween party, to which she writes out that she does want to go, He wants to know if she's coming with anyone, and she shakes her head no. Then, her boss fucking asks her out to the party because, of course, she gives him this spooky Kubrick stare before slowly nodding to him, which is just so... I don't think anyone gives Zoe Lund enough credit for just how great a nonverbal actor she is in this movie. Like, there's so much brewing behind her eyes as she does this, and it's just... It's amazing. Cut to all the girls in the shop watching two colleagues fuck in the opposite building and carrying on like they're watching the Super Bowl. Albert watches and then looks over at Thana with a sort of knowing smirk that is just so very, 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 very slimy. And Thana returns it. And it's at this moment where you're like, oh, she's really getting into this killing stuff. It's fitting her like a good pair of jeans. And in the next scene, ah, my favorite bit of the whole movie, there's just this old homeless woman ambling along with a shopping cart talking to herself saying, I don't associate with women, all they do is laugh and sing and say the word pussy all the time. (laughs) Ask any doctor and he'll tell you that. Like the scene is only to really show that the old lady has one of Thana's body bags on the bottom of her cart, but serious comedy gold all the same. Like, I want that on a t-shirt. All women do is laugh and sing and say the word pussy all the time. This is better than charge they phone, eat hot chip, and lie. (laughs) So next we get Thana out on the town again, in Chinatown this time. She's in her signature makeup at this point, pretending to be on the payphone while she watches a young Asian couple kissing and just enjoying each other's company while the girl is on break at the Baskin Robbins. When they happily wave goodbye and the man goes walking down the street, Thana stalks after him. This guy is doing nothing wrong, just on his way home, and Thana pulls out her gun to fucking shoot him. He goes inside too quick and the door locks behind him and Thana looks absolutely incensed, like she really wanted to kill him. All the other murders at this point could be explained away in some court of law. I mean, not that she would be innocent, she'd still go to prison, but they were on the vigilante side. This though, it's when you stop rooting for Thana really. The sheik thinking that she was a prostitute kind of toes the line, but this is unacceptable. I mean, all murder's unacceptable, but you you guys know what I fucking mean. (laughs) So next, 
Thana is in a bar getting her ear talked off by a guy who appears to be a recent divorcee. He's talking about how the sex got to where it wasn't too good, she wanted to work, he's out of town a lot, yada yada yada, he thinks she was cheating on him. He and Thana take their conversation outside on a bench by what I think is the Robert F. Kennedy Bridge, I don't know. It's nighttime in the movie and I'm just googling pictures and trying to pattern match structures here. <laughs> but anyway, he says that he did a stakeout on his wife one night and followed her to an unknown apartment building and saw his wife in the arms of another woman. So he went home, got cleaned up, and then strangled her cat to death. As you do. Athana is understandably horrified by this and pulls out her gun. She pulls the trigger and it clicks. Jammed. He takes the gun from her and points it at her, asks if this is a joke. Then after looking at it for a moment while the music gets piercingly shrill, the guy stares daggers at Thana while he blows his head off. She grabs her gun and runs off, just leaving him. When she gets back home, Phil the dog is naturally freaking the fuck out, presumably by the persistent yummy meat smell coming from Thana's apartment. For some reason, she only has a couple bags left in her freezer, but chooses to take one out and put it in the closet. Grabbing the rest of the bags, she sneaks out of the fire escape to go dump them. As she's leaving, her nosy-ass landlord lets herself and Phil into the fucking apartment after knocking one time. And Phil is pawing at the closet, which is locked, and the landlord is just like, Okay, Phil, I'll get the key, because this is a totally normal thing for a landlord to do. Luckily, Phil then knocks over a ton of Thana's stuff, to which the landlord is like, You naughty dog, now she'll know we've been here. Which just... Oh my god, I absolutely hate this woman. So unfortunately, again, Thana is dissociating really hard at work in front of a door that fittingly says men on it, while everyone else is excited and gearing up for the Halloween party that's tonight. Albert gives everyone the afternoon off, which allows Thana to go home and see the wet stain on the floor indicating the landlord's intrusion. Thinking quick, Thana writes out that she wants to take Phil on a walk. The landlord acquiesces, and we are treated to Thana walking in the middle of the fucking street, trying her damnedest to get Phil hit by a car, but no one is having it. She takes Phil to an abandoned building at the waterfront, ties Phil to a block, and holds her gun to his head. Next, we see another note that Thana has written, telling her landlord that Phil took off after another dog, but will probably come home on his own accord. The landlord is freaked out beyond measure because this dog is probably the only thing in the world that doesn't actively wish that she was never born and runs off to find him. And in one of the most iconic parts of the whole movie, Thana is getting ready for the party in a habit, full nun costume, but she has her bright red lipstick on. She kisses her bullets one at a time before putting them in her gun, and then does a kind of non-verbal taxi driver, you talking to me, monologue in her mirror, and then pretends to shoot invisible assailants. Like, she's gone a little cuckoo, a little wacky, bananas, touch, you know, crazy. She's fully into killing for killing's sake at this point. Cue this fucking party. 
holy shit, you guys, what a fucking Halloween party. There is this upbeat, jazzy song that's being played, and Jesus Christ, the saxophone is so repetitive, and it just does not quit. When it first starts, like, it's just like, yeah, baby, let's fucking go, but it just does not stop. It loops over and over. Holy crap. And in the shot where it shows the band, there isn't even anyone playing a saxophone. There's a guy on a trumpet, but that ain't no fucking trumpet noise. Not good. I give this band a D plus, but everyone has some cute low maintenance costumes on like a vampire, simple face paint and wigs. Some are just wearing a suit with a mask, like tuxedo mask, but I doubt it's a tuxedo mask cosplay. I don't think Sailor Moon was around then. I don't know. I don't feel like looking it up. One guy is dressed as Princess Diana at her wedding, which is funny. I just love Halloween parties and movies, grocery stores and Halloween parties, and this movie's got both. So elsewhere, of course, the landlord breaks into Thana's apartment again and goes snooping in the closet before she's interrupted by a tenant just walking in in a gorilla costume. Kay, but she takes the final bag back to her place and opens it to find, ta-da, a severed head. Back at the party, Thana is dancing with Albert and he kind of just guides her over to a spiral staircase and has her go up into this office. He's drunk and is just kind of kissing down her body sloppily as she just stands there, even saying, oh baby, the mound of Venus, when he goes over her crotch, which is especially uh, artistically worded in the most disgusting way imaginable. And it cuts back to the landlord who has the cops over. One is just kind of looking at the severed head like, Jesus Christ, I do not want to touch that and I definitely don't want to do any fucking paperwork over this. And the landlord seems way more hung up on the fact that Phil is gone than the, rather than the fact that there's a literal human head just hanging out in her kitchen like it's the most natural thing in the world. All the cops just look so annoyed and bored with her, which, I mean, you have to really like take a step back and ask some questions about yourself and your personality that if you are boring and annoying the cops when you have part of a fucking dead human body in your kitchen. It cuts back to the party and Albert lifts up Thana's habit which exposes her gun that she has tucked into her hose. She blows Albert away, which promptly cuts the music, and people are scrambling up the stairs, seemingly scared for Thana and screaming her name. It's said in some conversations earlier that this party is for a lot of people that are working in the garment district for different designers, so it's like a pretty big party. And Thana appears at the top of the stairs, and in some pretty cool slow motion honestly just starts shooting randomly at every man she focuses on including albert thana shoots seven men before Lori comes up behind her holding a knife used for cutting cake in front of her crotch like it's a penis like she's holding it at crotch level with both hands Lori stabs thana in the back and thana lets out this horrific scream and turns to shoot her before seeing that it's Lori. In this guttural rasp, Thana goes, Sister, before she falls to the ground. 
Meanwhile, the landlord is crying her eyes out over a picture of Phil, and we're pleased to see that Thana chose to not shoot the old boy because he comes back with the leash trailing behind him and starts pawing at the door. All is right in the world, I guess. The jazzy song starts up again, and the saxophone starts, and oh my god, turn it off, please turn it off, turn it off, turn it off. No. <laughs> and then that's that's the end of the movie. That's how the end, that's, yep, that's the end. <laughs> okay, I love this movie. I can see some people really not liking it or thinking that maybe it has some derivative qualities, but man, I do not share those sentiments. Like the colors in this, how it's shot, Zoe's acting, the setting, the fashion, the time period, the plot. It's just a really interesting mix of things that if you dig it, you'll really dig it. And if you don't, well, it's your loss. Like, so I said before, the movie is streaming on Shutter, so while it's cold and miserable outside, or if you're listening to it any other time of the year, whatever, why don't you just give it a watch and see what you think? Maybe you can hit me up afterwards and tell me what you thought. Um, last I checked too, it is in full on YouTube. They just cut a little bit of the uh, rape scenes, which honestly, that's fine. <laughs> so yeah, thanks for listening. And if you got this far thank you so much and thank you to all those who encouraged me to make another episode uh yeah I think it's been over a year at this point <laughs> I don't know but anyways take care of yourselves I'm now going to insert some of that fucking jazzy song so you know what I'm talking about because what is pain if you can't inflict it on others as well so see you around thanks again Bye. Thanks for listening to Ghouls Only Cast. Lightly written, produced, and hosted by me, Meg. Music by Dan Lucas. Follow me on Instagram at Ghouls Only Press. You can support this podcast by supporting my shop, ghoulsonlypress.com. Stay cool, ghoul. 